I understand how that feels because I had to come to terms with those scars. That's why I've got Mm -hmm. the scars on this book cover because the scars are so big. They're like going from one end to the other. So you've got to look at yourself. And some women, when they get the lift, they get a vertical scar as well. You've got to be Mm -hmm. able to look at yourself and look at those scars, which are like your war wounds, and be happy with that. So that's why you've got to do the deep work and just go, I love that person for that journey, you know, that Kintsugi effect that I keep referring to where you patch it with gold and own it. And I think that the biggest message here, Otto, is ageing and really understanding that our bodies will continue to age. So as you're making peace with whoever you were at your younger self, you're then needing to make peace with the now, but also with the future self, which will continue to age because ageing is a privilege. On top of that, we don't need to age the way we've been taught. And that's what I'm about as a wellness expert. Welcome, guys, to another episode of the Otto Gomes Crypto Show. I have part two conversation with Andy Liu today. I'm really excited. Um, the first time we connected, we talked about her journey to this point, but now I want to talk a little bit about her new book, uh, Treasure Chest. So Andy started her career as a radio host in CH9 Shopping for Love. From there, she evolved into a renowned health professional focusing on midfield eating, healthy living, and recently chiropractors chiropractics. Andy's also a best-selling author of nine books, which has impacted and inspired millions. And now her newest 10th book, Treasure Chest, shares her breast explant journey and how she overcame the toxicity of it all. Andy, thank you so much for being here. How are you? (laughs) Oh, I love being on your show, Otto. And you know, you're never cryptic. It's always the crypto. Get straight to the point, don't you? And I can't believe I've released this 10th book, uh, treasured chest and you know I'm a bit in shock and also proud of myself just because basically I nearly died and in February of the of 20 2023 I explanted I had six surgeons and an MRI tell me I was fine but for like a year and a half two years I was like get this out of me I could feel a rupture um, yeah I could feel something going on and of course when I woke up the surgeon said you were right it was exactly where you were pinpointing it to be. You're better than an MRI. And you taught me a lot today. I'm going to have to go and look at my other patients. I got goosebumps when I say that because having come out of anesthetic, it's so profound that I remembered those exact words, word for word, because I instantly feel better. Um, I also said, move me to the sun. So I was intuitively aware that I can like being in this clinical environment. And I was like, move me to the sun. <laughs> and they did. <laughs> So, um, and that was interesting because I instantly felt better when I started getting that vitamin D as well. And then it just quantified and validated everything I was feeling. But, you know, I really did create a movement because from that moment, I felt compelled to write the journey and pay it forward. I realized I wasn't the only one. A lot of women are saying they feel medically gaslit and they also can't afford the $14,000 minimum surgery and they get upsold secondary surgeries. I call them, would you like fries with that, a lift or a fat transfer? And so this book that would have normally taken me three years to write research and publish took me five months. 
And I'm just coming up for air now because I've also been on a national press tour and I'm like, this is a calling. This is my offering. So, yeah, definitely proud of this one. I mean, I, I actually want to talk about a little bit about your journey. I don't want to give too much away so people can read it in your book. But let's talk a little bit about this journey. I've had friends that have been going through the same situation where they're like, you know, they, had, they felt that peer pressure many years ago to do it. Um, we call it from mainstream media, from uh, movies we watch, from pressure we feel at school or, or work. What has been your journey with symptoms? Because I've, I've noticed that it's very different. Um, some people have issues with uh, mold growing there, or like you, you just mentioned, uh, a burst, a rupture in the, in the bag. So what, what was your symptoms and what, how did that feel for you? So there's two things that can cause, um, well, actually three things now that can cause symptoms, which we can run off that whole laundry list. And women are starting to join the dots and realize I have all these symptoms. But the mold can come from a saline implant bag. So imagine if you left, you know, a plastic water bottle in your car for years, what's that going to look like? That's what the bags look like, green, black, moldy. Um, the other one is the rupture or the holes in the silicon bags with a silicon leak. But in my case, and traditionally they were looking for an actual hole when they're looking on an MRI, but the FDA have announced that silicon is not inert. So now instead of looking for that traditional hole, they're realizing that it can become an entire gel bleed. And then we want to go, yeah, it just melts like chewing gum. But then we want to go to that third point, and this is that whole holistic approach. And through my case and journey, the professor that did my explant realized he needed to collect the new data to support that the implant bags are the inflammatory driver that creates the cytokine storm, the inflammatory storm. And so you don't necessarily need a rupture or mold in the bag for you to have breast implant illness. And I've got goosebumps as I say that again. Every time I speak truth, my arms just like prickle and get cold. So, yeah. That's interesting. I get, I get, I guess something similar, but maybe not that, but I know, I know what you mean. That, that yeah, it's a like, weird oh, feeling. And I'm just called to, and as you can see, I'm speaking with so much certainty, so precise. I remember every detail. It's definitely my calling to alert others to the dangers of breast implants and that the first time in history now, there is, it's no longer the number one cosmetic surgery in the world, having breast augmentation, and explants are on the rise. Wow, that's an interesting so fact. The symptoms that you can feel are things like, and I mean, I'm just gonna show you as I put this book down, I've got this terrible, terrible hair loss, and it's oh, not really see, yeah. coming back. So these are all hair extensions because I want to feel like the way I want to see my future self, which is that I am getting better every day and I am going through ma major detoxification. So I just pop them in to like remind myself that I'm healing instead of looking at myself and feeling well. Plus it's like not unnatural. So I'm completely organic, um, which is so great. So the rapid hair loss started falling out in chunks. A lot of women express that they also feel this weird tinnitus now, when I say weird tinnitus, I described it as I was an antenna. And that's Ooh. because you do have heavy metals running around inside your body. And I believe it's an interaction with the, with the radiation, the electromagnetic fields. And so Five, tinnitus is, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, yeah, because it wasn't really there when we had the four, but, mm -hmm. um, 
you know, having said that, symptoms continue to worsen and exacerbate. Shortly, you start to have food intolerances that you never had before. Then you start to develop SIBO gut, which is small intestinal bowel overgrowth, because having heavy, heavy metals in your body is a perfect breeding ground and feeding ground for strep A, strep B, E. coli, bacterial overgrowth. It's just, wow, they're the, you know, the parasites that are like, I love this, I'm feeding off this, and they start to dump toxins and yeah, you can feel really awful as a result of that. And then you start to get inflammation everywhere. I had inflammation in my knees every time I would do leg press or squats. My knees would blow up like my grandma I used to see had. And I was like, I never had this before. Then I would go to the sauna to try and sweat it out. But little did I know that these implant bags aren't made to withstand this tremendous heat. And that was just worsening. They were like gelling and bleeding inside my higher Whoa, pulse system. Even think about that that yeah and would, would it, would it start of, leaching because it gets so warm that it, it oh yuck it, like i, mean, I can can't even yeah it's awful and so what happens is the natural detoxification pathways start to shut down the liver the gallbladder mm. the digestive system because the body wants to expel toxins through an orifice and so it can't do that um, and then it starts to go into contracture. So I had stage two contracture because it was like, get it out of me. You know, if we have some sort of toxin, let's say we had poisonous food, we want to throw it up. Instead of going, oh, push that food back down, it was good food. We understand that's the innate intelligence of the body to get rid of it quickly. It's the expulsion through the mouth, through the, you know, the feces, whatever. And then I, I just also... say butthole. <laughs> yeah, basically, you can say that. My audience and doesn't then... care. <laughs> I'll keep it clean for the kids at home. <laughs> and then... That's pretty clean for me. So <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? I always like to call things their correct name, which is also why I got into the title chest. Mm. I don't like to use the word boobs, jugs, tits, this, that, and the other. I find it Not really breast. derogatory. Breast, breast is too much? Breast is perfect, you know, but I thought that when I thought of the word treasured chest, mm. it was just like, of course, what we treasure on our chest is so much more than breasts. Because did you know that, and this I wrote about it in my second book, The Modern Day Mother, Babies and Sleep from Womb to One, that the cells in a fetus, when they're developing in a female fetus, are actually immune cells when they are the breasts. So that is like so much more than a sensualization or sexualization of that area. It provides human life with, you know, immunity and so much more. So um, it was about time that we started to honor, you know, breastfeeding, breast rearing, our chests and what's behind that, which is our heart. And when we start to show up that way, we get perceived in a different way because one of my favorite chapters in the book is actually, um, well, there's one there called Trauma to Triumph because it really is owning your story and taking back that personal power. But my favorite chapter is like who's really in control and how did we get here? So it goes into the history of how a breast implant bag was even uh, invented and that was some ER doctors and they were running around holding bags of blood and one guy was like, oh, this feels like a, um, yeah, it feels like a breast. Really? So maybe we should. I never knew that. I never knew the, the, the back story of that. Is that, is that what really what happened? That's how they came up with it. It's always something yeah. dumb. Scary stuff. <laughs> My son just gave me chicken bone broth that I made last night. Sorry oh, if you're a vegan, it. but lots of vegetables in here. Yeah, just to, um, continue that detoxification process, which is constant. So because everything's shutting down for the ladies, 
it's the heal is real you know the detoxification from parasite detox heavy metal detox of course just detoxing the gut back to a correct flora and fauna after having been through anesthetic um, and then the IV antibiotics, and then you've got to heal the tissue, the lining of the stomach with bone broths or slippery elm if you're a vegan. And um, yeah, and then there's the emotional healing as well. But if I may, I, you know, some of the other symptoms are things like early onset of autoimmune, um, the, the inability to sweat. Um, I was in that sauna and I wasn't able to sweat and I was like, what is going on here? And as soon as I had them out, I went for a walk and instantly I was like, I'm sweating. This is cool. That's so interesting because my, my partner has issues with sweating or she had, she doesn't have any more. And we right. were wondering what it was. And we, we did a lot of tests to figure out like what was going on in her body. And we realized there was a, there was a high elevated, um, there was a high number elevated of a certain toxin that she consumed by living across the street from a, a oil refinery. And so like her Ooh. body wasn't able to detox, like you're saying, like it wasn't able to go through the orifices, you know, the, the sweat glands, uh, because it was congested, you know, there was all this other stuff overwhelmed. Yeah. yeah. That's a good way to say it. Overwhelmed. I, I do have a the question. Body... Oh. Yeah. Go ahead. Go I was going to say the body's so incredible at adapting, but then there's limitations of matter. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. Uh, so I have a question because I feel like, you know, what I'm hearing you say is, is, is it's it's not even that these things are rupturing it's just putting them in your body in the first place <laughs> the body's going to go what is this and then start to slowly push it out or figure out ways to try to get rid of it yeah um so it's like almost an inevitable end where you start having symptoms when you have breast implants the innate intelligence now, of the body just knows it's toxic and starts to work away to adapt and then it can't adapt anymore so it starts intelligently going got to get this out such an, and that's the thing. Once we, I, what I've learned from my journey is we have to get out of the way of the body. We have to stop doing things that are putting things in front of the body's ability to heal itself. But you know what, Otto, I actually knew this my whole life. Let's address the elephant in the room. I've been teaching health and wellness for 31 years now. I look good for 72, I know, but I've been teaching this my whole life. And so people are like, why on earth would you have done this to yourself in the first place? If you knew how toxic it was. Well, A, I did, but it was a trauma reason. So that's what I actually mm -hmm. address in the book. So many women have said to me, oh, wow, nobody's really talked to me about the reasons for implanting as a result of trauma. So that takes it back to like who's really in control and like what really happened because this is a Western world thing. They don't do it in other countries, right? Um, that's true. Yeah. I didn't think about that. That's very true. Wow. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So if we look holistically at the world at large, and what it, is, what it is in the Western world that has troubled us to enter this path and, and, you know, that whole treasured chest notion. It's a really interesting read. But go ahead, yeah? So you were but, saying... So this, I, you, you were sliding, you were picking up what I was putting down because you're sliding right into that answer. Uh, so my question is, what would you say, because like what, I've, what I'm noticing is there's, there's a lot of women now having breast cancer. Uh, whether that's because of the implants or not, I'm not sure. I personally have gone down the journey of, you know, doing a lot of healing with my trauma and with my, the emotions and the energy that I embody. So my question to you is how connected, like, like you just mentioned, like there was the beginning of that. So there's a trauma that came in and they're like, oh, I need to have some breast implants because X, Y, Z. And then now, <clears throat> you know, did it, uh, uh, 
are they still holding on to that? Is it did it maybe get exasperated because of the breast implants? Uh, so what's your what's your perspective on that? See, this is why I love interviews with you because you think so deeply about stuff and you get it. Because how you do anything is how you do everything. So once you understand the notion that we're explaining within the body wanting to expel toxins through an orifice, you start to apply that to every single thing in your life and assist the body to heal and adapt instead of working against it. We understand the body has superpowers on healing. And so it's a blanket rule as well with our emotional status as well. This book caused me to do the deepest healing I have ever done before because I had to address the real root cause about why I did this to myself in the first place. Women are all saying that they have to really look at the deep shame and then dig deep and go, how do I love myself harder and all of these things. But Really, the world needs to look, and men are so interested in this topic because they feel slight responsibility too. Like where where have they not stepped up and been king or how did they allow this to occur in the first place also? But then like, you know, Big Pharma are just creating this forever customer with this upselling of the secondary surgeries and sweeping our stories under the rug. This is where the medical gaslighting comes in, where the women have expressed to me that they felt like, They've been told, you know, don't be silly, you, you know, or you're going to look saggy, you're going to look saggy. I love mocking that phrase because I saw six surgeons and only one or two told me that I wasn't. And I was like, who cares if I did anyway? You know, the words mummy makeover or mommy makeover, they're, they're illegal in Australia in social media. How derogatory, oh, you know, really? like how derogatory that you need yeah. to tell a woman that because she's a mom and she dedicated her body, that she needs a makeup. Think about the subtle programming that we've been having in the Western world. You don't hear this in other countries. And this is what I'm saying. I'm creating a movement. I've got the book being turned into this documentary now with investors starting to ask me to look at it because they understand that this is a new hashtag Me Too movement. Bye-bye forever customer. We're going to be coming so empowered and not and knowledgeable on this subject that the demand starts to diminish the supply rather starts to diminish because the demand is no longer there oh wow i mean amazing i you know, i have to i have to point this out though i feel like there's duality in everything and in the duality of what you're doing which is beautiful i love that you're bringing awareness to this i feel like the the surgeons are becoming aware of the situation as well and they're going to their extremes so they are. my question to you yeah so so first of all what what does that look like to you well, and what are what like, are your sorry go ahead well i was gonna say was gonna what, say, what say, are your what are your thoughts on also the other types of implants like muscle implants that guys are getting now yeah. um you know all the different type butt implants uh with yep. the silicone bags so yeah what's your perspective it looks like I'm a whistleblower. All implants create the same kind of cytokine storm, which is a guy actually said, oh, I found my tribe in this online group because he had calf implants and he had all the same symptoms. So he felt relieved to have gotten support. Yeah, because obviously we get censored online. So we have these underground subcultures in these online groups. But the other thing I want to address is the new types of cancers that are now starting to come about that are in the surrounding scar tissue of the implant bag. So it's not just important to remove the implant bag itself, but that surrounding scar tissue, because of the innate intelligence of the body, it starts to wall it off. 
and creates mm -hmm. that scar tissue around it. So this is called an on-block surgery, which is an oncological procedure or a complete capsulectomy. And that scar tissue needs to be peeled away and come out with the bag. So it's a much bigger scar than when you first put it in. And that's why we really have to honour those scars like the Kintsugi uh, approach you know where they put the Japanese put the broken porcelain back together with the gold and highlight that as our beauty as opposed to the you know clear glue so yeah. carcinomas such as squamous cell carcinoma and anaplastic large cell lymphoma those are the two types of cancers that those capsules or surrounding scar tissue need to be sent off to the labs for to be tested Wow. Um, is there, would you, I don't know if you know this, but is there different symptoms to guys, to women on, on that? Or is it just pretty much the same? Well, when symptoms? you look at things like anxiety, depression, um, you know, inflammation, SIBO, gut, you know, all the, like, it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. Um, it may differ in the actual placement of where they are. A lot of women right. feel like they can't breathe. Um, as it starts to contract or it's placed submuscularly under the pectoral muscle mainly. And even that itself requires a lot of pectoral rehab as that muscle hasn't been used for a decade or whatever. Um, but I found, I say to the women, you can actually change the way your breasts look also with good chiropractic care, changing that posture and pectoral rehab in the gym. You know, I didn't get a lift. I didn't get a fat transfer. And I love the way I look, but even I'm encouraging, there's a lot of uh, friends of mine who are having mastectomies and they're embracing their flat. What's wrong with that? Think about it. We spend a couple of dollars on a pink ribbon during National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, but that same money goes to the same company that's creating the breast cancer to begin with. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what does that look like, you asked me? <laughs> a closed the box loop. Are <laughs> Huh? I would say it's a closed loop of, of money flow. Forever customer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So once we start to get that big idea, that's when we take back agency, Otto, and that's when we go, ah, it's time for me to honor myself. I don't want to be in your hold, stranglehold anymore. I'm not going to have you tell me I look saggy. I'm going to tell you what I think's beautiful. I don't need you. And then address that deep-rooted trauma you know, mm -hmm. and really take control of that empowered divine femininity. And that's what I'm guiding women to do, to come back home to themselves. Um, man, I love this conversation. I feel like, uh, you know, I'm not a woman, but I feel this conversation <laughs> needs to be had uh, just in general, just normalize this because there are symptoms happening with women that have breast implants, guys that have you know, uh, calf implants, bicep yep. implants, all the types yep. of implants. And so it's, it's really affecting both men and women in a lot of ways. And so th having this conversation is so important. I have a few more questions. Um, what would you say once, first of all, what was the first symptom that you started to feel when you started going down this road? And as you became aware of the root cause of the symptoms, what were your practices that you started doing to help mitigate, you know, for, for women and men that are going through maybe similar symptoms and feeling some pain? Yeah, that's a really good question because, you know, I was diagnosed with PTSD about five, six years ago from not just the trauma, but the way the media wanted to drag me into it at the same time. So that was like something that I was committed to working on. And uh, I was having psychology 
NET chiropractic, which is neuroemotional technique chiropractic and kinesiology. And I was addressing all of those root causes and uh, really rising up to this. And about two years into seeing this particular psychologist who was also a hypnotherapist, um, whilst my diagnosing doctor said to me, Bella, I think you've got breast implant illness. And I kind of wasn't really wanting to look at it for about six to 12 months because I was still wanting to work through the PTSD. And I was like, no, I'm fine. But then when my psychologist said to me at one point, listen to you, you're speaking with positive psychology and not clinical psychology. And I was like, wow, I am. I'm like excited about life. I'm like thinking about the future and everything. And it was in that moment that I went, well, then why do I feel like I still want to kill myself or I'm dying or I'm anxious and I can't breathe? And I was like, oh, it really is the implants. This is one of the symptoms. A lot of women feel like they want to commit suicide because they are dying. They're dying slowly. This is a slow shutdown of every single system and organ in your body. So that's when I just went on this like journey of doctor hopping, finding the right doctor for me at the right price. Then when you get the right one and you like the needlework and you like the price and you like the demeanor, then you've got to like get in. Then there's a wait list because there's not enough trained surgeons to do the on block or complete capsulectomy surgery. Mm-hmm. Or then they turn that surgery from a two hour surgery of just getting it out to a would you like fries with that upselling surgery of the secondary you know, um, lifts and fat transfers. I feel like that's a red a- flag. Like if they do fries with that service, it's like, oh, that's a red flag. Like, well, the, and think about it. Any business is going to offer you fries with that, you yeah. know. And But the thing is, you guys go, no, I don't want fries. I just want them yeah. out. Or I said to myself, no, I, I don't care if you think I'm going to look saggy. Oh, but you're 50, one guy said to me. And I was like, so? Look, have you seen my tone? Look at, do I look like your average 50 year old? And even if I was, they would then cost me $27,000. So, you know, at what cost do you go? Am I going to, like, is my vanity going to keep me from getting well here? Like, hashtag, how dare you? So, you know, there are some really good doctors around, though, that will, you know, practice in a great way. But they're definitely, as you say, scrambling to get better. you know, getting new data, but also figuring out how to sell it to us that it's still safe. Allergan did a total recall of all of their textured implants just last year, all of them. But of course, they brought out a new one that was much safer. And, you know, you just have to look at this. There's always something better. And no, there's not. <laughs> you just try to keep in business. Newer look, doesn't to be mean fair, <laughs> To be fair, Otto, um, there you can just do a fat transfer if you really want to. Um, so that was my next question. What, so what what are healthier alternative options if you really want to have your breasts enlarged? Yeah, I mean, owning your organic state because there's nothing wrong with flat. That's the first one. Um, there's nothing to fix in you, ladies. That's the first thing. The second one is for whatever reason, because you're human and I don't judge and you do want volume or whatever. I can't even believe this is coming out of my mouth. Um, but you know, if this is your way to slowly move into a like organic state, you can do a fat transfer if you have fat to transfer, but then even then there's complications and risks, you know, imagine Mm. blasting fat into an empty cavity. So, you know, it's just like, can we just all be happy with ourselves? Yeah. I, um, uh, I asked because, um, a perspective that I've gotten recently from someone that I trust 
that I was like, oh, that makes sense. Because for a long time, cosmetic surgery to me was just like exactly what you just said. It's like, just accept your body. Like, I know there's some trauma about in the background there that's maybe be creating a filter of what you're seeing, but embody it. Um, but and then she said to me, which was really interesting, she said, yeah, but what if I made terrible decisions growing up that I wasn't aware of that I was going to be destructive in my body in the long run? And now that I am, I want to make sure this meat suit looks good so that I can feel good. And so it's like kind of this, uh, you know, uh, back and forth of energy of, of like letting go of the choices that we made and, and forgiving yourself to then like, all right, let me reset the body back to what I believe it should be. Um, what, I understand yeah, how that feels because I had to come to terms with those scars. That's why I've got mm -hmm. the scars right, right. on this book cover because the scars are so big. They're like going from one end to the other. So you've got to look at yourself. And some women, when they get the lift, they get a vertical scar as well. You've got to be able to look at yourself and look at those scars, which are like your war wounds, and be happy with that. So that's why you've got to do the deep work and just yeah. go, I love that person for that journey, you know, that Kintsugi effect that I keep referring to where you patch it with gold and own it. And I think that the biggest message here, Otto, is ageing. And really understanding that our bodies will continue to age. So as you're making peace with whoever you were at your younger self, you're then needing to make peace with the now, but also with the future self, which will continue to age because aging is a privilege. On top of that, we don't need to age the way we've been taught. And that's what I'm about as a wellness expert. That's what I love about you. Cause like uh, my, my, my life partner, my girlfriend, she's, uh, she calls herself a height maintenance hippie cause she likes the height. She likes the stuff, you know, the, the, not the, the finer things in life. I think you call it that, but have a perspective of this hippie lifestyle where it's like, no natural organic, you know, go out into the sun, put your feet on the ground. And I love that about you. That is like, there's a middle ground. There's a way to approach this that you can still you know, um, age gracefully, I guess we can call it. <laughs> yeah, why not? And I mean, having that longevity uh, mindset will help you to make better everyday decisions. Because when we were younger, we felt invincible. Oh, just one late night, just one more party, just one whatever. I never took drugs my whole life and I still don't take medication unless I have to, like an operation. Mm. But um, I think that that's really important that if you are taking medication that you understand that that blocks micronutrition absorption that disrupts flora and fauna in the gut that's creating tears in the tissue the lining of the stomach and so you probably got leaky gut syndrome you don't even realize and the micronutrition that you're supposed to be absorbing and assimilating now is not even being used you may as well be peeing that nutrition out so these are the things that you have to you know when you understand how the body works to heal and you work with it and you go well this is how i slow aging and this is how you know, wellness can work. And so I think that that's when you start to get proud of yourself um, in a different way, you know, instead mm -hmm. of just that aesthetic being that we are as a human, this is just our, you know, this is our ex, like think about the magic that's happening on the inside and work with the magic. Yeah. The things we can't touch. Yeah. I <laughs> can't see yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, we got to like, we got to envision it. Um, so what would you say up until this point with everything you've gone through, everything you've written, what would you say is, is 
and maybe you don't have one, any, which is fine, but what would you say yeah. is your biggest regret? Things, something you wish you could have done a little differently or changed <laughs> that you've gone through? I've come to make peace with everything in myself, but as soon as you said that, you always have to say what comes to your head immediately, yeah. and my only regret is circumcising my son. Mm. It's a whole nother That's topic. Yeah, it's a whole nother, and I never wanted to do it, and I got forced by everyone in the picture. It's a whole nother wow. topic. This might be TMI, so, but I will say it. I'm not. My mom, so my, I have, I have two brothers, three of us. Both my two older brothers got it. And then I was um, six years difference from my middle brother because of issues that were happening with my family and my mom and my dad. And, and then she got, um, she lost the baby. You know, she's like, she waited another three years. So I became her experiment. She did everything organic with me. She didn't circumcise me. She yeah. almost had a home birth because um, uh, it was like, it was something that happened that we had to go to the hospital, but she almost had a home birth for, with me. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting, so that's your one regret. That's the one thing that you wish you would have. Yeah, because I've made peace with everything with myself, except for that choice, because that wasn't mm -hmm. only my choice. Right, and that's right. why it was so hard. I think it's important to come to peace with all of your choices, but when your choices were out of your control, that's, I think personally, that's the hard one for me to accept. Yeah. Um, it's a whole nother podcast, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Easily. I can, we can talk about that. I mean, they have like, you know, circumcision in general in different countries mean different things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, that so could be a, literally. I mean, look, we're all still learning. We're human. We, as long as we're committing to evolving and getting better and looking at what we used to do and why did we used to do it? We're going through a very interesting time right now. So we're questioning everything. And again, I love that how you do anything is how you do everything notion, that flow on effect. You know, when we started questioning ingredients, then that, flu that flow on effect happened with everything in our life. And now again, we're questioning behavior. But I'd like to talk to you about your natural birth and like everything because how you come into the world says a lot about who we are. And my second book that I referred to earlier, The Modern Day Mother, Babies and Sleep from Womb to One, the foreword was written by this top lactation consultant in Australia. She's actually originally from New Zealand. Her name's Pinky McKay. She's this grandma with pink hair. And, you know, she would get women breastfeeding, you know, even six weeks after they couldn't. She said it's a spiritual experience, not just this like milking thing. And like, it was just so profound because you get the LCs in the, in the hospital wards only with six days at the most experience in helping people breastfeed. So on that notion, you know, this whole uh, practice in the Western world of crying it out or, you know, um, controlled crying methods, it only happens in the Western world. We're the only mammals in the world that don't sleep with our babies underneath our arm in the C shape. You know, we're supposed to be synchronizing heartbeats, breathing, body temperature, and it's mutual regulation of those things for both mother and baby. There's all this research about how, you know, the mother has less chance of ever having breast cancer when she's breast rearing that way. The mutual regulation is so important. You think that it's just for the baby, but it's a release of a hormone called CCK, which stands for cholecystokinin. And when you fall asleep in this position in bed with the baby after a breastfeed, you release the CCK, which makes you feel like you are having a four-hour sleep if it was only 40-minute naps. Or, you know, if you were if you were having a four-hour sleep, you wake up feeling like you had an eight-hour sleep. It was the best advice that, makes that I ever... That sense to me. 
It's like, yeah. it's like a battery, two batteries charging themselves, right? Like yes. energy flowing back and forth from each other. Wow. I didn't even think about it. Like yes. That. Wow. That's exact. That's a great, but it's hormonally and biologically normal yeah. and it's age appropriate. So a lot of women, when they breastfeed, they'll like get the knot off in the chair and that's when they're supposed to be falling asleep. That's when that hormone's kicking in. But of course they go, oh, wake myself up, put the baby down. Now it's me time. Let's go do my emails. Let's go do my chores. No, the best way you can support a new mother is by coming over to do her housework for her so that she can sleep with the baby and continue to synchronize the hormones together and build immunity and build the bond and the attachment. Because when you control cry a baby to sleep, there are psychological ramifications. This is not my belief system. This is actually science. And I uh, read and referred to a book that I loved called um, The Science of Parenting by Margot Sunderland. And she speaks about these psychological ramifications where the baby becomes emotionally unavailable because you haven't taught that baby to self-settle or fall asleep without you. It becomes so stressful for that human to keep calling for you. <laughs> and then you finally come to the baby at level 100 and the baby has been taught that, and I've got goosebumps when I'm talking about this because it just traumatizes me when I hear people do it. But the baby has now been taught that the only way to get your attention is when it screams at level 100. So it's too stressful for the baby to just give you a soft cry anymore. That's why you see all these toddlers in shopping centers or anywhere just falling to the floor and having a tantrum going from zero to 100 immediately. That's a controlled cry baby. That's a baby that has been taught that your feelings are not valid until you hit 100. So this that is, is like, such a good point. I'm a hundred percent agreement It's conditioning. I mean, it's, it's, it's Pavlov's dogs, right? It's like, it's going to work at that age because they're absorbing. And so you're going to cut off that human element almost. But also in just removing the philosophy aspect of it and going straight to anatomy, the human brain is in three parts, mammalian, reptilian, and rational parts of the brain. And those three parts of the brain don't fully integrate and become one brain until about the age of five or seven. That's why the saying goes, show me the boy until he's seven and then I'll show you the man. That's the programming, Otto, that you talk about. And so the baby really feels like if you don't attend to it because its only way to communicate with you is through crying, my gosh, helpless, and, you know, what a bad parent or what a bad baby you are because the baby wants to hold you because it loves you like wow like that's a bad baby you know and and you know and the oxytocin release and all of those beautiful things but here's the thing we don't know even though we've evolved as humans and we live in safe houses far uh, far away from each other which is actually unnatural we should be in communities close but we live in these big safe houses and the lion isn't going to come and eat us we know that and even though we've evolved as species the way in which the human brain develops has not changed so it still doesn't think with the rational part of brain until the age of five or seven wow um you know, when you were, this is great because I think that uh, becoming aware of when it comes to kids, becoming aware of those first five to seven years. And I think it's almost like we have to learn how we learn. I think we were never really taught how we learn, right? You go to school, you get taught what to learn, but not how to learn. And 
the truth is, is those five first five, seven years that we're absorbing and learning in a way that we don't ever do again. You know, that's the stage that we're in. Yeah. And, and um, so I bring it back to, you know, you say trauma, that's our first trauma. And it could also be right. at birth itself with intervention, you know, suction, forceps, epidural. I had a natural birth, um, 14 hours without drugs. And, you know, that real connection. The only thing I actually do regret doing is cutting the cord too soon. There's something called a lotus birth. And that's where you're supposed to birth out the placenta, wrap it in some muslin, and then allow the mother and baby to stay connected until that cord pulse stops. We're still retrieving and receiving and, and sending nutrition through it does, that. It does cord. it naturally, right? It, it disconnects naturally. It right? disconnects yeah, within right. maybe two weeks or something like that. Yeah, but of yeah. course, we're in the Western world and we're like, well, how am I going to go do my coffee and push my pram and blah, blah, well, blah. What, I, what I've heard is, is that, uh, so this is a Western practice, but when you have birth in, in the hospital, the reason they cut that thing so quickly is because they want to preserve the placenta to sell it. So that's what they do. They sell that placenta for between fifty to two hundred fifty thousand dollars, depending on like how you know viable it is. And you know, it's so disconnected. And then they charge you, and then they charge you forty thousand dollars to have the birth. <laughs> yeah, and then they also got you out of there quicker, so they can do the next one instead of being on God's timing. But the the interesting thing is that this is so disconnected for both mother and baby but through our world in at large in itself you know mother earth that placenta needs to then be buried under a, a new tree or something and allow that nutrition to then help that new life to grow as well that full circle effect like how disconnected we are and what we could have done with that two weeks while being connected and attached to the baby sets up those neurological pathways and that wiring of the brain to feel like we do live in a benign world and the world can be trusted and that we do have people that have our backs and they will be empathetic to when we are ready to detach on a mutual level, not just like when I tell you that you can be disconnected from me, but when we listen to each other, we both decide I'm ready to detach. And then that is the attachment parenting theory, which people go, oh, well, now you've created this needy child. Well, have a look at all the attachment parenting children. They are the most non-bully, highly emotional, intelligent beings you could ever meet. It is the exact opposite. I was breastfed till I was four and a half. Oh, wow. See, that's rare. <laughs> you see the chin? There you go. This is um, why. But I agree with you. I was a mama's boy growing up, daddy's boy, and 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 lived a lot of my life that way. But and then, yeah, then I made a choice. Like I can be a man now, you know. And, and so that that whole theory as well, where mom and bub decided when they wanted to stop the breastfeeding. Who are we to judge? The World Health Organization says two years and beyond. I mean, not that some people care about the WHO, but in this statement in itself. It's not just they recommend breastfeeding up until the age of two years, but they've added the words and beyond because it's so much more than uh, nutrition and calories and, you know, everything from neurological development. You know, the only reason why the mother and child is actually making it is because there is a supply, because there's a demand, because there's need of supply for whatever reason. And, you know, it could be immunity. It could be speech development. We don't know, but we have to start trusting it. And for those who are freaked out, I want to say because a lot of women who have never had children, we don't want to freak them out because we want them to at least do six months. I want women to understand that four years is very rare. You know, 
but that's what the mum and bub felt was important for them. So again, who are we to judge? On top of that, the breastfeeding is very efficient. It was probably literally two, two sucks and that's it. It's not like that four-year-old or two-year-old is sitting there doing it all day. And I think that's right. um, that, what's I'll, important. I'll share Mike's. My mom told me that I would, um, after the age of two and a half, maybe three, I started to just, <laughs> this is probably TMI. I started just like, I would grab cookies and I eat the cookie and then I walk up and just like take a sip. <laughs> Do you know why you did that? Do you know no. why you did that? Cause the cookie was going to make you create parasites and lower your immune system and everything. And so you intuitively, now your, your mum is creating hormones and milk that's going to help you stay well from the junk you just ate. So. <laughs> that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, it's, yeah. it's back, uh, you know, we are, we are a combination of bacteria, viral biomes. And so like, yeah. that makes sense. You get that original so it kept biome. You well. That's it, amazing. It kept you well. That makes so yeah. much sense. Uh, and I'll say, I'll say this too. Um, you know, whether that's that or because I, I never, she never really gave me pharmaceuticals growing up when I got sick, it was all natural yeah. things that she did. I yeah. don't get sick very often. And when I yeah. do get sick, it's more of like um like a tiredness, like a heaviness, like I, I need to go to sleep yeah. and then I feel better the next day. Uh, but and yeah, so it's very rare. You're consciously connected to your body and you're aware and then you know what to do. That's again what we need to start doing when it comes to health practice is being so connected, mm -hmm. not take not reaching for that pill and just disconnecting brain to body. We need to be like, what's my body telling me? Am I dehydrated? Do I need to sleep? You know, instead of reaching for the coffee, which is an upper, then we're so up high, then we need wine, which is the downer at night to help us sleep. Really listening. Bouncing back and forth between externalized powers. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so I knew all of that. It really kicked in when I had the natural birth because all of the drugs came through me and I was like, whoa, I know this is an intense feeling, but I couldn't describe it as pain. I described it as intensity because my body was making these pain-killing drugs as I was surrendering to it. Same thing happened again when I surrendered to the breastfeeding again, you know. So having these life experiences are a woman's right to really fully live her life. And so when the Western world goes, oh, no, we've got to time this birth, get you in and out, or it's not happening, here's the forceps, I get it. There's a fine line there. We live in a litigious place, you know, but... Let's give the woman the optimal chance of even, you know, feeling empowered going into it. You know, none of this like planned C-section stuff. I don't even know what's going on there. And push <laughs> present. <coughs> planned C-sections. And then I, the I, you know, culture It's funny because it changed. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. The culture of a push present because I didn't have a C-section because I birthed vaginally. I get a push present is what they call it. <laughs> push present. Oh. Uh... Uh, that's like, it's funny because all the organic stuff is, is the things that we've been doing for thousands of years have, have become the alternative, uh, which, which is, yes! which is funny, right? It's a, it's a shift in funny. perspective. Yeah. But you know, you know, there's all these myths and misconceptions that, oh, my vagina is going to be stretched or whatever. Mine came back exactly the same. <laughs> it looked exactly the same like three days later. And you know, it's incredible. So again, the myths and misconceptions that surround so many different things and also the benefits, understanding that if you can have a natural birth, by the way, full disclaimer, I'm not advising anyone what to do here, 
But if, you know, you and your team decide that you want to give that a go and it's safe to do so, whatever, um, just know that your baby's also going to be gulping a huge amount of prebiotics as they pass through that vaginal canal. That also sets up your microbiome for life. Oh, that's a whole other conversation too, because when they, the baby first comes out in the hospital, they're like covered in this white, you know, it's, it's like what you the just vernix. said, it's all that back. Yeah. The vernix. That's called a vernix. Yeah. Oh, the, the, the film is called vernix. Yeah. And you should leave that on. You shouldn't wash it right, off. They, but they wipe it, right? They wipe it off immediately from the child and it's like, no, leave it on. They're absorbing it. They're taking it into their body. Um, yeah. So, so many practices. Wants- Anyone wants any advice? I've got how to write your perfect birth plan. I got it all. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, so one few last questions here. If so, everybody has their own, you know, health journey and awareness of their bodies and what they're doing to themselves, like their lifestyle choices, which is going to create very specific symptoms. It's going to be very, you know, unique journey for each individual that's listening to this podcast here. But what would you say? as a blanket generalization, what would you say is one thing that everybody can start doing today? Um, uh, either a practice or uh, if anything, really like um, one thing that we're consuming, maybe, you know, that somebody can change today and start making that shift for themselves. So like what's one thing that you have, to, you have to pick? Yes. Does it have to be one? <laughs> one thing. Okay. Honestly, and I won an award for this in 2009 for my dedication to the profession in public education. So I just, I mean, I'm just going to say chiropractic if it has to be one, because usually everybody's already eating well, everybody's already aware of all of the things, but if the average age of a person in Australia, for example, uh, they haven't been adjusted until like 31, imagine all the birthing trauma, the bumps and falls, the car accidents, the high heels, the things you've injected, and you're nervous system is dealing with all of these toxic stressors, physical, chemical, emotional, environmental, and having chiropractic care helps you to adapt to those four stressors in your life. Changing your posture, changing your physiology changes your chemistry, then in turn it changes your emotional status. So yeah, most people haven't been adjusted, go get checked by a chiropractor. I've been getting adjusted weekly for 27 years And that's one of the reasons why I look so young besides living a drug-free life. Because if you look up chiropractic and epigenetics and the works of Bruce Lipton, he was actually asked to go to the New Zealand College of Chiropractic to lecture there after he discovered that this is one of the ways that you can create epigenetics through thoughts, through food, and through changing signal from brain to body with chiropractic. Oh, that makes, I love that you you pointed out Bruce Lipton, Dr. Lipton. Because uh, it's all about the electricity, right? So are you saying that like the adjustments will help the flow of energy a little bit better, basically? Yeah, because our nervous system is our electrical switchboard. Yeah, yeah. So our innate intelligence, which is our spinal cord, our brain, and the nerves that run off that, the body perceives that this is the most important system because it is the master controller. It is the conductor of the orchestra. Through the nervous system, we perceive the world, adapt to stress, coordinate all of our bodily functions. And this is protected by the skull and the bones of the spine. Yeah, sure, we have rib cages that like protect a whole bunch of other organs, but it's the only system that's fully encased in it because it is the most important one. And that innate intelligence is actually run by universal intelligence or God, grand organized design. Something higher than us is our universal intelligence running our innate intelligence. So when we change that and we get aligned and connected to source, oh my God, I'm getting goosebumps again and we get connected to source, we have free communication from source 
too. Oh my God, I can't even speak. I'm like getting goosebumps all over my body. But this <laughs> is down. how you stay connected. This is how you stay truly well. You don't see a really healthy, non-depressed person walking around with amazing posture. We see them in defense posture, in fight or flight, you know, physiology. That's, that's sickness there developing. So, yeah, continue to change your posture, not just with yoga, but you've got degeneration going on if you've never been adjusted frequently enough. This yeah. is a th look, guys, if you're listening to this, I mean, this is a real thing. And I started that journey for myself uh, with a functional movement doctor who also does chiropractor. So he's just like teaches how to do exercises for functional movement, which then helps align the body. Yeah, you already know what I'm, you know, right? Um, and then there's like the swing about, you know, like uh, uh, how to throw properly. And so like he has a movement that helps you throw with your non-dominant hand. Uh, but one thing that I noticed in myself that he said is very normal for guys because um, we're in a reality now where men have been coming from, you know, have you ever heard that um, weak men make hard times, hard times make strong men. Strong men make good times. Good times make weak men. And so okay. apparently we're in, the, we're in the cycle of that where we are starting to get into hard times and, or we've been in hard times for the last 30 years and, and the, the, the warriors are being born in this generation, like in these like yeah. last two, three generations. But the older men are coming from good times and they're the weak ones. <laughs> and what, what this chiropractor told me is the hips. So being grounded as a man, you know, when, when you say uh, masculinity, like in a man is there's a sense of groundedness and most men are not feeling grounded because they've been sitting in front of a computer all day, you know, working in front of a computer and their hips are literally back like they're, I'll even show it to you here. So instead of it being straight, so look, yep. instead, of, instead of it being straight, yep. they're like this. Yep. They're like this. Yeah. So that eliminates the, the, the energy flow of being grounded. And then they're, yeah. they're coming from this like reactive space. Uh, but yes, I just wanted well, to comment I, on I you. often <laughs> encourage people to put their laptop, if they have to do work, put their laptop on the coffee table and squat next to it. Because ah. squatting is a practice that most other cultures are still doing. And it's not because they can't afford uh, a toilet or a chair. It's because we're designed to squat. That's yeah. like a good point. I have a squatty potty <laughs> for that reason. <laughs> you know what that is? Well, that's that very could... clever if you can do that. Yeah, you can put, well, you can, uh, well, not a squatty potty, like a kid squatty potty. <laughs> I sit yeah, on a regular, on... it's the yeah. one on the floor and you can put your feet up. Uh -huh. Yeah, okay, okay. That's I didn't know if you know what that was. Yeah, no, and I it see helps. What you're saying. It just flows, th flows through. Well, you know, I lived in Japan for a year and they squat to do it there and yeah it's just normal and i mean they're very hygienic too it's just we've done all these western world things that are weird you know we got to look at this weirdness and and kind of as you say the world is changing now and let's go back to natural and back to what we were supposed to do and really just assess is this making us well um you know who are we anymore <laughs> it's a it's a it's a movement of remembering in my opinion uh, everybody wants to fight and protest and i'm like no that's just reaffirming their power that's just letting them know that they do have power well over you. you know the nazis were very clever otto because they didn't have to do very much work they got everyone else to do the work for them 
So exactly. the more we fight with others, the more we're doing their work, their yeah. work. Which I think so, is a mindset. It's like a, it's like a, it, it's gotten to a it's gotten to a point where they've normalized the perspective and the mindset so much. We're like, yeah, they don't have to. It, it's going. It's happening whether they stop it or not. Now, you know this this mindset of divisiveness and creating tension, doing things from a scarce perspective. You know, uh, giving your power to time, centralized systems. At the same time, look at how social media has made us follow travel bloggers and connect with people from all over the world where we get to go oh you're cool that's cool look at that skill look at that talent and we see that we're creators and we finally realize that we're all the same that with our differences we see the similarities and you know if you think about it the works of even dr john d martini talking about the world being in perfect balance you know that that equilibration process that there's dark and night and you know sorry equal opposite would be the light and the day like we're all in perfect existence always which is a really weird conversation to even have but that that equal and opposite energy that we're always in divine um synchronicity and and perfection we're striving towards equal and opposite energy is what i'm trying to say that's mm -hmm. quantum physics Quantum mm -hmm. physics is the only true science. There's an equal and opposite energy of both. So when we sit in the middle, that's the heart of love. That's when we realize there's this and there's that. And what I don't love about this is a part that I haven't loved about myself. How can I see that in myself? How can I bring that out in somebody else? Mm -hmm. And so I guess I'm bringing this up because, well, I forgot actually what were you telling me? <laughs> I do I have something to compound on that. Well, my, I want to compound on that because I feel like most people will have the duality. So right. Everything has duality, two energies, but even on this perspective, I've, cause I've used this before. I've said, well, you know, everything has two sides. You got to look at it both sides and you, you, one can fall on one side, which is, oh, so if there's two sides, then I need to choose a side. And it's like, oh, wait, no, that's, that's the extreme. Uh, it's, it's to know that there's two sides to realize that, uh, so that you can choose so that you can look at it and go, Oh, there is a middle ground here, but two sides do exist so that you can really yes. perceive the duality of the, the specific thing you're talking about. Right. Um, so now I remember what I was trying to tell you. And I talk about this in my uh, <laughs> previous book connected a paradigm shift in how we view health. The last chapter is about perception. So constantly looking for what you want, your perception of stuff, right? That's the healthy mindset and that perception of, yeah, there's a conflict and there's a division, but there's also a rise of movement of like showing equality and showing more um, love and non-division and all of that. So that equal and opposite energy there is in perfect full swing right now. It's like if you had to go to a nunnery and you saw, you know, um, that's where you see the most amount of, um, what do they call it, uh, not miscarriages, but um, abortions, uh, like abortions. those... Yeah, it's because what you resist persists. The more I say you can't have sex, the more you're going to have it, and now you're going to have these miscarriages, right? So, but when we see things in that duality or that balanced heart of love perspective, then we come at it from, you know, this heart of love, which I'm talking about. That's where we find the peace, and that's where we see that life is beautiful with this darkness, with this lightness, and the more the dark that resists that you persist, right? The more the dark keeps showing up, the more the light keeps showing up. 
The more they want to create the division, the more we want to create peace. You know, it just keeps balancing it out. It's at extremes right now, but it's still in perfect balance. I know it's it's very obvious, right? It's like really easy to see the duality now in everything. Well, at least for me, it is. Um, but I, the analogy I give for that I love is it's like walking into a dark room and you flip on the switch. The darkness is not going to go, no, stop. I'm, I can't. I want to exist. It's just going to disappear and then light happens. And so it's like we have to accept that with that, really, it's like what is darkness but the absence of light? Oh. You know, what is light, but the absence of darkness or is, you know, I guess you can see it in that way. But the point is, is like, you know, seeing the duality and then, and then becoming aware enough to maybe not choose either and create a new path. Well, what it is, is I think it's not even choosing a side um, or choosing neither. It's about the awareness and what having that awareness teaches us. It's the lessons and the blessings in being able to see both that creates a highly evolved being. I love it. Yeah, facts. It's uh, facts versus facets. You have universal facts and then you have a perception of the fact. <laughs> that creates a whole different perspective. Um, yeah. I love this conversation. We could, I can literally talk about this for hours. This is <sighs> yes, one of my... Yes, we do. <laughs> we always do. And remember when you weren't feeling so great about a year ago or whatever, I was like, can you go get adjusted? So yeah, I was always... That was my one thing that I was looking out for because I knew you would have been doing everything else right. And you were like, you're right. I need to go get chiropractic care. And then you were saying that your chiropractor is really good and teaches you movement. And remember, movement runs the brain. If you don't move it, you lose it, they say. But that's because if, God forbid, we did have a car accident and we had a physical therapist attend to us in the hospital, the first thing the physical therapist does is like moves your limbs for you because if you don't, you just shut down. So keep moving, you guys, because movement runs the brain. Oof, loves it. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much, Andy, for getting on this interview again with me and, and continuing these conversations. I always appreciate that. Um, if there is one last thing you can leave everybody with, uh, you have two minutes, a million people in front of you, and you have a, a few minutes to leave some, them with something. What would you say? You are divine. You are perfect the way you are. You are born to create. Go and create something. And if you can't create something, then inspire others to create and be here as an act of service towards others. So we're here to love, serve and nurture. How can you love harder? How can you create more? How can you serve and nurture? And even if it's not for somebody else, just do it for yourself. Love it. Thank you so much, Andy. Thank you all for watching. Uh, make sure you guys check this out on my YouTube, Spotify channels, and the reels on Instagram. Thank you, Andy. And always remember, everyone, gamify your abundance. I love you guys.